Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's Rob Howden and David Cole back again with one of our EKN Debrief podcasts. Episode number 23, recording date May 8, 2018. David and I uh, back in the office, well, essentially mobile office and home office, uh, after the Supercarts USA Pro Tour Spring Nationals at the Phoenix Car Racing Association facility in Glendale, Arizona. It was a hot one. Lots to talk about in this edition of the debrief as, as David and I will break down uh, all the action from the racetrack. We'll talk about some stuff that happened in the paddock. We'll just talk about the overall event because uh, there's a lot to discuss in terms of the racing itself, <laughs> the weather, number one, a couple of exciting, let's say, dust devil, dirt devils that happened throughout the weekend. It was a, it was a wild one in Phoenix for sure as we got to the halfway point of the Supercarts USA Pro Tour. This week's show presented by the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy. If you want to improve your results, it's time for professional instruction and coaching at the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy. Located at the new state-of-the-art speed sports racing park just north of Houston, the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy offers custom coaching programs for newcomers and experienced racers alike. Train with a champion with over 30 years of racing experience to get proven results. Get ready for the big races by training with the best, Reserve your dates now by calling 866-607-RACE, 866-607-7223. All right, David, rough start there for me, man. I'm telling you, I was announced all weekend long in what? I want to say 106 degree temperatures, but it was more like 70 degrees or 68 degrees in the booth. we We didn't get a lot of sympathy from anybody when we told them how cold we were up at the announcer's tower. Uh... But for you going in and out, stark contrast. We're talking probably somewhere around 40 degrees difference inside to outside. I, w- I would give it a, a 50, probably a 50 degree difference just because of the, the you know, where the where the AC was coming down on you. And yeah, you really, you only stepped out to go eat. That's the only time you stepped out of there. Or to warm up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was tough. I, I, again, for everybody, you had you had a, obviously a lot more understanding of what it was like. I think that's the first thing as we start to break down the spring nationals, extreme temperatures and conditions. Um, obviously, Phoenix, David, no humidity, but the sun was beating down all weekend long. We had a little cloud cover, I think, as you mentioned on Sunday. But otherwise, man, it, we're talking first and foremost, Sunday, a record high for May 6th ever in Phoenix at 106 degrees. And I think we saw 107 on a couple of of the phones we were looking at. It was just unbelievably tough for these drivers. And the cloud cover actually happened on Sunday when it was the hottest. So, you know, explain that to me. I, I, you know, I'm not a weather person. I'm not quite sure I understand that, but it did give, it did give you a bit of a sense of relief when the cloud cover did come over because it felt like, Oh, thank you. You know, the, the, the sun rays weren't exactly slamming you either your top of your head or your back of your legs or the back of the neck, you know, it kind of gave a little bit of relief, but but the temperature just was still hot because you're in, I mean, you're in the desert, you're in dirt, there's no grass, you know, you, sometimes when it's hot, you, the grass sometimes feel a little bit, a little bit cooler, but you're in dirt and there and pavement and the pavement's reaching anywhere up to 140 degrees. And so all, yeah. all the, all the, all the rays off the, 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 the track and the, and the pavement just bounce off that and hit you. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a challenge. 
Well, and think about the mechanics and everyone in the paddock as well. You're walking on that 140-degree uh, pavement. We saw a couple of people post uh, photos to Facebook of using the actual, you know, the heat gun to find out what the, the track temp was. Ambient temperature, 106. Track temp at one point, I saw one that was 138. We spec over 140 by the time it really got hot at the end of the day. So really just the conditions were so trying, so challenging. And I think that's why you and I mentioned, I mentioned it on, on, on social media already. I'll, I mentioned it on the broadcast it, we were just so impressed with the way people handled it because, you know, early on there were thoughts, people, some people calling for shortening the races, whatever it may be. But I don't care if you were a seven, eight or nine year old driver in micro, or if you were one of the 45 year, uh, year of age and older guys in the master categories, dude, they battled through full, uh, full distance races. And we saw some guys turn into their fastest laps at the end of the races, having, having fought that hard in those tough of conditions. I, I was unbelievably impressed for sure. Well, it's like marathon running. You, you, it basically is what it boiled down to because by the end of the day, you're 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 on that last what maybe mile or two mile to go in like a marathon, and you, you've gotten done with the swimming, you've gotten done with the biking. Now you're trying to complete that that run, and so you know you you just it's it's whoever who whoever came in trained and ready to be their best at the end it's kind of like you know a chassis setup you got to get your body set up to be good at the end of the day yeah i think a triathlon is actually a really really good uh uh good example with the qualifying pre-final and final right i i, I agree with that completely you know we were talking to john crow and uh, travis irving a little bit after the race on saturday and they actually john had all the drivers under the, the musgrave racing uh, company tent actually weighing themselves at the start of the day and throughout the day to make sure that they were getting enough fluid into them john's really changed his focus in terms of being in you know in better shape for racing this year and it's obviously paying off he's uh, leading the way in the s4 supermaster category but i want to say he said he had lost about four pounds through Saturday, and I think Travis Irving had got himself, I think not got himself down, I think that the wear and tear and the weekend and losing weight uh, from the, from losing body fluid and actually, you know, hydrating, I think he said he was down about seven pounds from the start of the day to the end. So we're talking about the extremity of being an athlete uh, in, in motorsports, and I think this particular weekend really challenged everyone. Well, it's not like bowling or golf where you can just go out and do it and drink beer while you're doing it. I mean, it, <laughs> it's 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 a physically demanding sport. And I think Irving even said it on Sunday. He lost so much weight that he had to put weight on the cart, which is unreal for a guy like him. He's 6'4". Like, how is he putting weight on? But he was able to make weight every every weekend. He's lost a lot of weight. He's, he's put a lot into it as well. Travis has, just like John Crow has. But you're right. that that Just that amount of weight loss throughout a day based on the, the fact that you're losing fluids and trying to keep up on it. And because, as John Crow said, you can't really keep up on that. You're either, you know, you're either, you either have the weight or you don't have the weight or don't have the water in you. You can't, if you get thirsty on the weekend, you're already too far behind. You got to hydrate coming into the weekend. And I think there were some guys that did a better job than others. Uh, overall, Dave, as we, we give the overall overview for the, the weekend, second event of the Pro Tour in the books, we get past the halfway point, rounds three and four. Some of the championships definitely heating up, but there's some as well that we've just had drivers stretch away we'll talk more about it in the race report but there are a handful of guys that really have taken control of their specific categories there are um and one thing we kind of missed uh in our notes there because uh, we don't have it any i mean we can talk about it more in the paddock pass but it was uh the the dust devil that uh that ripped through the paddock yeah, true. I guess, um yeah. 
that that was one of the major weather issues we had aside from the actual heat was was Saturday and I think a lot of people saw the, the video that we posted and a lot of all the other photos that people put up but it it's it's not something we're not unfamiliar with when we go to Phoenix because we see a lot of little dust devils that stir up around the oval racetrack that's south of of where we are that we're looking out from the tower and so we see them this thing was like a wall of just wind and dirt that came ripping through the paddock. It was never that big. Never that big before, though, Dave. Oh, my God. Like You and I were up in the tower, and all of a sudden, we just saw the dust come up through the paddock side. We, it's hard. We can't really see the paddock very well from, from where we are. We saw the dust come up, and all of a sudden, the K1 speed tent that they had just set up that morning – to uh, to promote you know to promote the K one local K one speed track, all of a sudden it was a hundred feet in the air, swirling all around. The coach, the family, dad and son were out in the middle of the racetrack. It's a tent swirling around them. It actually, I think, hit dad like David. I'm like, oh my god, it was it was massive. And I think the the severity of it, Dave, was when we saw it actually taking tires from the tire wall and throwing them around too. Yeah, it's just and it's and it just lingered there. It it wasn't like a quick blow through. It just kind of, you know, kind of like that, you know, the Twister movie where the tornado just kind of sat there and and kind of teased you a little bit like, "Hey, you know, <laughs> don't don't mess with me, man." And and like you said, threw those tower t- uh, tires around, knocked down a couple of the uh the, the poles they had set up for the camera uh, marshaling system. Uh, you know, and 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 it just kind of moved off to the west and just kind of sat there. I think it went over, died over, across the uh, golf course that's back over that way. So, uh, just it's just a very rare and unique thing that we saw. And luckily, thankfully, like you said, only David and and um, Alec were on on racetrack. Yeah. No, there were no carts out there because it could have caused serious damage to not only carts but to to drivers out there. Yeah, with David and Alec out there again, we're all yelling, get out of the way. They <laughs> obviously can't hear us in the tower. Um, I'm, I, we're thrilled that they were able to get through that because it was very close. And, and, and David even said, I didn't nail him in the head. He knows it could have been much, much worse. He took it just big, uh, one of the one of the legs of the easy up, tapped him in the back of the oh, – hit him hard. Listen, didn't break anything, but hit him in the back of the, uh, the one ankle. I think everybody was really lucky. You know, there was a lot of damage in the in the, in the the paddock, uh, the, the musgrave. And – Let's say it this way: It blew the way the path that it blew through. If you were on, you know, if you were five feet one direction, you hardly felt anything. But it blew like it blew right past the guys at Formula Works. Uh, Tony Saragusa told me that he got just pelted with rocks. It went right through the Musgrave tent and ripped up all their awnings. Uh, you know, and it was cool to see the you know everybody in the paddock kind of to jump in to help the guys that that were affected by it. I know Tom Kutcher was out there helping the uh, the, the Musgrave guys get their tents back together. Everybody kind of, you know, we took an hour break while everybody kind of pitched in to try to get the paddock back together. Yeah, that's that's the good camaraderie we have within the sport. You know, and people have a, a hard time, and you know, we've seen a lot of a lot of medical issues with people, uh, this and that, and even in the paddock, you know, if somebody needs help, you know, engines not starting, or you know, somebody's hurt, or you know, or in this case, you know, some some damage has been done to some people's tents and trailers and this and. People will step up like we saw, you know, a few years ago at, at with the fire uh, in Dallas. You know, a lot of people were willing to just help out however they could with fire extinguishers and getting in, as much stuff out of their trailer as they possibly could to save it. But uh, that's a good thing that we have within the sport is is the camaraderie. 
To cap off our notes on the extreme temperatures and conditions that we had in Phoenix, um, mostly everybody survived throughout the weekend with no with no major health health issues. We were very worried about people getting heat stroke, and from at least what we've been told, David, really no major health issues with those that were in the paddock. No, we had a couple uh, injuries on track, yep. but uh, off the track, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't I think we had a couple people that were succumbed to the heat a little bit, you know, but you know, once they got fluids in them, uh, everybody was okay. Let's look at numbers, David. Uh, you know, obviously, it, when we look at the fact that the, the Spring Nationals, the uh, a change in venue from Sonoma to Phoenix in the late going, uh, numbers actually fell down quite a bit, uh, down to 184 total numbers. Still some some great, uh, you know, 43 in X30 Junior, 40 in X30 Senior, uh, a little bit of a drop in some of the other classes. Uh, overall, I think the venue move was was one of the big things. I think a lot of people were planning on taking their wives and families maybe to Sonoma and Phoenix didn't have the same draw in terms of that. I also think that the, the really poor racecraft that we saw um, at NOLA uh, probably turned a, a couple of people away as well. Just like, you know what, we're not going to come back racing in, in, until we say, see that the competition is a little cleaner. And, and then I think the other big one is uh, in the, uh, the, the stock Honda categories. There's still a lot of uncertainty with what's going on. And there's some people, people, that, people that are staying home right now. Let's, let's have a look at the numbers a little bit and you can kind of break down where, where we saw ups and downs. Yeah. I mean, it, it's down. It's, I mean, overall you look at it from the, from the winter Nats, it, it was down maybe, you know, anywhere between 30 and 40 drivers. And like you said, the venue move definitely uh, could have been a reason uh, poor racecraft which we saw in X30 Junior, only really dropped seven seven drivers. They still rep- had 43 drivers there in Phoenix. So uh, not so much there. It was just kind of the other categories, like you said, the Honda situation that we've seen where S4 dropped down to six and S2 dropped down to 11. Uh, so that that's where we're kind of losing some numbers. X30 Master dropped down from 23 to 17. X30 Senior was still good at 40, but still lost a four from NOLA. Uh, yeah. Really, really just micro, micro Swift, Swift was up one, but you said mini down four, uh, X30 junior down seven, uh, six for X30 master, four for senior, one for super master and S4, four, like just was kind of like every class except well, S, S1 was the same at 14 drivers and some exciting racing, but just a little bit down each where when you think about it being consistent, then you can go, I think a lot more to the venue change. Just people saying, Hey, you know what? I don't want to race at Phoenix. Because I know it's going to be hot, and it was no doubt. Yeah, and yeah, it was more no, not not so much the racetrack, more so the weather, the weather. and knowing that yep. the conditions were going to be the way that they were. Yeah, I think in hindsight, a night race would have been awesome. Thursday, Friday, Saturday uh, practice. Thursday night race, Friday night and Saturday night would have been super cool. I'm sure that Scusa has that in the notebook if they ever decide they're going to go back there again. Because once we got by the high heat of around four or five o'clock, it was absolutely beautiful there. Right? It was it was seventy, you know, eighty, seventy five. Everybody's super comfortable. I think a night race would have been would have been really cool. Uh, there you go, folks. That's your overview of the Scusa Pro Two here on episode number twenty three of our EKN debrief. David and I, after this break, are going to come back and we're going to go paddock pass. We'll talk a little bit about more that happened overall with the weekend before we head right into the race report. Stick with us. More to come here on the EKN Radio Network. History, success, family. Those are the three words that describe Comet Cart Sales, one of the longest tenured carting businesses in the United States. The family-owned operation is located just outside of Indianapolis, and they have provided carts, 
parts and services for thousands of racers throughout their near six decades of business. Comet's online store features everything you need, continually adding new parts to their product line. Comet Kart Sales attends dozens of karting events every year, offering trackside service for racers and families. Karting veterans Mark Dismore Jr. and Gary Lawson provide one-on-one -on -one driver coaching and tuning assistance for each trackside customer. The engine building business, Comet Racing Engines, has won countless major events and championships over decades of karting, and they continue to offer the best trackside service in the industry. Make sure you head to CometCartSales.com or call them at 317-462-3413 to be a part of the Comet Cart Sales family today. Welcome back to episode number 23 of the EKN Debrief. David Cole and I breaking down the most recent uh, Supercarts USA Pro Tour race last weekend's Spring Nationals in Phoenix. Now we're going to move to the Paddock Pass, presented by CRG Nordam. If you want to drive the best, drive a CRG. After years of independent American importers, CRG Nordam is now managed directly by the factory and run out of their state-of-the-art headquarters in Texas. CRG Nordam is the American arm of the CRG factory in Italy, and they're serious about success. If you're ready to step up to the national level, do it with a factory race team that competes across the USA. CRG Nordam is a full factory effort with the best personnel and the finest equipment. We're serious about winning, and you should be too. David, into the paddock pass now, I think, you know, off the top of the broadcast, our EKN live shows, you and I talked about immediately. Let's let's talk about one of the key things right now, and that's the pushback bumper. Scusa debuted it for the first time in the IAMI categories, and I think you'll agree with me, first and foremost, the starts were much better than they were at NOLA. Well, that that's kind of been the synopsis of this pushback bumper is that it yeah. it really reduces the the type of impacts that is that we normally saw without it. Now, are we still getting overzealous drivers? Of course. Uh, we saw that a number of times in X30 Junior, X30 Senior. Um, not so much in Master Micro, maybe more so in Mini, I think, this weekend than we saw uh, in in NOLA. Just a lot, a lot of guys just trying things that they shouldn't try. And not only that, just it was almost like the accordion effect where guys just didn't un really understand how they needed to, to slow up uh, and, and give, give each other space, uh, under breaking in the opening corner. Um, so we saw a lot of that, just guys climbing over other guys. And as, as I said, throughout the broadcast, it's going to take time for people to understand those who have not used the pushback before what they can and cannot do, how to, you know, how to change their approach. And remember over the last, what, four years, since it's been getting a little more rougher, uh, at the starts of these pro tour races and at the super nationals as well, uh, that's just what's ingrained in, in these in these guys' heads. There's some guys that have only been racing, you know, Scusa Pro Tour racing for the last four years, and that's what you've done. You've driven as hard as you could into the corner. You've hit the guy in front of you, and ideally, if you're lucky, things will open up and you'll be able to get out of the corner cleanly. That's We're going to have to change that mindset, and that's why I keep using the term changing the culture. They're going to have to change the, the, the current status quo of how they think they approach the corners. And I think that that you can see it start to figure, figure it out because, you know, they changed the Supercarts USA layout not to have the double hairpins or at least a single hairpin at the start. Well, what's Phoenix? You start on a long straightaway. You're in a banked hairpin. 
and then you're in an off-camber hairpin. So there's the two hairpins that get the, you know, that really stack everybody up again. I personally think that this weekend was a lot better, and I think it was even better come Sunday for the most part. Yeah, and again, the, the the Phoenix track is a little bit tighter than some of the other tracks we go to, like Newcastle and NOLA. So it, yeah. it, with these larger fields, it's very hard to find room. But it also, again, like you said, it's just, you know, it's just getting drivers to understand their limits. A lot of them just still don't aren't quite there yet, even though they're at the national level. You should, but uh, you, you just they're just not quite there. Uh, and and it just and from now, I think this is what my my fifth event with a pushback bumper. If you count all the USBKS races I've been to now, it seems mm-hmm. to be like guys are starting to figure out where they can hit their front bumpers and where they can't hit their front bumpers on a guy. Uh, it seems like, you know, the, the rear bumpers are, you know, give a little bit of a cushion if you're hitting, if you're doing like a bump draft type scenario to where that's where the accordion effect kind of came in, where guys were, were just, you know, still kind of hitting in the back of other guys, but directly in that center area where it's softer. But if you hit, say, right behind one of the rear frame uh mounting areas that's where you're kind of getting that more of an impact and pushing the bump the front nose in uh onto the the, uh, onto the pushback uh um yeah so i think guys are kind of learning that a little bit more so so not so necessarily on the starts guys are like well as long as i don't hit them here i'll be all right if i can hit them here i can still kind of move them out of the way and try and get through so it's just something that I, I, I'm going to be definitely watching, I think, a little bit more because I saw a lot of onboard videos where guys were still just plowing the back the back of the cart in front of them and, and nothing happens. Well, and David, you know, Scusa did one thing. They only penalized if it was a full pushback activation in terms of both sides of the pushback bumper. If it was just one, they let it go. Now, maybe they'll elect to change that a bit and have a smaller penalty uh, if you uh, – if you have just the one side, not the other side. Now, I know you, you came up with a, a list here of in each race, how many pushbacks were, uh, were presented and, and some, I think you have some, some, some data as well on uh, guys that impeded uh, in qualifying runs. Micro, pretty clean. Really just one pushback bumper penalty in the pre-final on Saturday. What else did you see in terms of impeding penalties with drivers coming out slow during qualifying and, and you know, putting around slow? It's an epidemic we've seen over the last couple of years. You got that for some of the penalties and then you got some pushback. Junior, not surprising, the highest numbers. Yeah, Junior had both seven on the pre-final both days and three in the final uh, on both days. So that class had the most out of of the five IME classes had the most pushback bumper penalties. Now it, it was the largest field, but it you know, doesn't necessarily mean it, you know, it, they should have more because like you said, you look at micro, they only had one where, you know, masters had four uh, overall on the weekend. So yeah, all, and they, masters, and, and they, masters was all in one race too, though. And one race. And so, and that, and again, they had the similar numbers. So it's, it's just kind of goes into the to different uh, scenarios throughout what happens in a race. You know, the pre-finals obviously for the juniors seems to be one of the biggest issues and guys who don't quite get where they want to be in qualifying. So they think they're going to do it in the pre-final. Well, it obviously is showing with a pushback bumper seven in both pre-finals uh, guys are, are taking a lot of chances and not so much in the final, but again, I think I think there are a lot of DNFs in the in the uh, in the finals. There's not a lot of pushback bumper uh, penalties. 
Yeah, understood. Uh, I, I am happy that Scusa cracked down a bit on the uh, the qualifying impeding. That's something that really, really irks me uh, when guys come out late off. You know, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get guys that'll go out when the green goes. They're laying their fast laps down, and then the guys come out on the racetrack who want to be cool and hang out in the paddock or hang out in the pit lane, then come out to try to set that big lap at the end. Well, they drive slowly around for like a lap and a half, and they're constantly getting in the way of a guy on a flyer. And I, for me. Uh, my opinion is you impede somebody, you lose your two fast laps or say either do that or say, get up to speed when you come out or you're done because it's just on a track like Phoenix too, which is so narrow, it's almost impossible to get out of the way. We saw one particular uh, impeding panel. And I don't know if it was even a penalty, but two drivers were slow all the way down the back straightaway and drove right down the racing line at quarter speed coming through the hairpin Daytona at the end of the straightaway. And one driver was totally balked on a fast lap. For me, that's you got to leave the grid immediately. And the other other way to do it would be to say, "Hey, we got you got thirty seconds to leave the grid, and then we're closing the grid." You know, I think Dave, that that would do it. Get on the racetrack and get your qualifying underway. Yeah, I think they have some procedural things they need to look at uh, for le- letting the carts leave the grid during qualifying. Some tracks, obviously, it's easier than others. Uh, this one's a little bit more difficult uh, as you're coming onto the racetrack as the carts are going through turn one to set up for turn two. And so you got the kind of the right, left, right combination S's that we know is very tricky. And there's really no way to get it out of the way other than to flat out take off and get away from them as quick as you can. Um, And there wasn't an official there kind of flagging guys when to go, when not to go. And it was kind of racers doing it on their own. And a lot of times you can't trust a racer to, to judge where he should go out on the racetrack and when he should not go out on the racetrack. I, I agree with you on that. They should have had an official there right there and saying, because we, we were wondering if, if, I can't remember, there was a couple of drivers at the very end that, that were like, they may get stuck there till a minute to go exactly. because there was no real, real clear opportunity for them to go out there because there was already 35 carts on the track. So I, I just think a couple of minor things can be adjusted there to stop that tomfoolery. I, I don't like it. I think it ruins people's weekends. Uh, because we know qualifying 25th is different than qualifying 10th or 15th. I don't like seeing guys lose their fast laps. Uh, overall, Dave, though, I know that you mentioned as well, we talked about the fact that uh, I think the SCUSA potentially relying a little too much on the SCUSA app to um, inform drivers of penalties and everybody of penalties, especially this weekend when they actually everybody really struggled for, uh, for cell service at the racetrack. Yeah, so... It- <laughs> It was it was at Denola same way too, where guys were not notified of being penalized. You know, either whether it be an on track situation, and this weekend even in tech, uh, guys aren't you know weren't notified of certain penalties they received, and and I think that the organization is relying too much on the app. I think I think there still needs to be that that kind of paper trail with with a penalty. Uh, and, and a public notification on on some board. I know they had results posted somewhere, but I, I, I really think there should be a penalty board at every race. A penalty board is a great way to just show everybody, hey, these are the penalties we are handing out this weekend. And, yeah, you know, it, and it tells everybody, you're right, agreed. It, it's, it's a much easier way to do it rather than through the app where you got to scroll down and you got to refresh and check all the time to where, if you are handed a paper, if you if if you say you you had a, I mean, not so much the 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 bumper penalty, but I'm talking like a, um, uh, a jump start. You get a paper that says you jump start. 
Okay, then you have you have something that you can go to the, the, the officials and, and try to protest if you want to, or at least you know you got the penalty or the, uh, the a passing, like a contact, uh, avoidable contact. You know, a lot of times, you, if you're not given a paper, you might be told, but you know, saying one thing and getting getting the actual paper and having the the proof to go in and and, and discuss it is is another thing. I just I just love the paper idea where you, one paper goes up on this board and the other paper goes to you. You know, it's not it's not something we have yeah. to keep. You have I to agree. keep as in the officials, and you take it down, you recycle it at the end of the year or at the end of the weekend, but. It's just a great po- – it's a poster board that you got it. that has to be on display for everybody to see. Yeah, first and foremost, it, it uh, tells the driver what they've done, and they, they're aware of it. And number two, it lets the paddock realize the penalties are being laid down because we don't hear the hell. Nobody – they didn't make any calls all weekend. It was BS. Well, here's your, po- here's your board of all the calls that were made. Here's the penalties so everybody knows. I, I agree with that totally. David Cole and I right in the middle of our Paddock Pass presented by CRG Nordam. Again, episode number 23 of the EKN Debrief as we break down the Supercarts USA Spring Nationals. Uh, David, for the most part, some pretty impressive racing on track. We talked about the starts being better because of the pushback bumper. I personally think that the racing was, was good. There were incidents on the racetrack where drivers made maybe low percentage moves, but I don't think we could ever complain about a low percentage move as long as it was one that was, you know, could have worked. We saw guys make passes in particular corners and they just didn't pull the trigger and get it done right. That's racing. It happens at every level. Guys will make moves that just don't work. So we saw that. But for the most part, David, I thought the racing was really good at Phoenix. I think that track races well. There's at least four or five places to pass, a couple better than others. But overall, some great racing. I think it would have been better with the with a lower temperature throughout the weekend. Um, I, to, to, yeah. to, to be honest, I think I've seen some better racing at the facility. Um, like you said, it was, it was good. But I, I, I think it would have been more dramatic, I think, if, if the temperatures were a lot lower. Because it was, it was a very tire conservative weekend where guys, you know, the tires were just getting shredded to bits. Every every lap you did, every lap you made. So I think it, it was it was more of a conservation type mode where who could who could handle their their tires a lot better than the others would would be able to shine at the end of the day. And it I, I just yeah. So it was it, you know obviously with the weather, uh, it it threw a, it threw a different uh, element in there that we're not used to when we go to Phoenix a lot of times. So, um, but again, like you were talking about low percentage moves. You're always you, there's just one you can't eliminate that. There's always going to be people that are tr- they're going to push the edge. You got to push the edge. I mean, we see it in tech. Yeah. We saw we, we see it in tech. Guys are going to push the envelope. You know, well, you see it everywhere. Yeah, you see it everywhere. You know, we're we're, we're, the, we're in the month of May. Look at the pass that Takuma Sato tried to make on Dario Franchitti to win the Indy 500 a couple of years ago. You're going to make a move. If there's an opportunity, you, you try it. And sometimes it's just not going to work. And, and so we, I never want to I never want to downplay that as being aggressive racing. Yeah, it's avoidable contact and you may get a penalty, but you're making it. That, that's not one that I've been saying, hey, that's a BS move. You're making a move to try to make that pass. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And so that and, and, and Scusa officials, I think, did a pretty good job handing out enough avoidable contact penalties for what they've been able to, to be able to see they're, I think they're getting a really better handle on the video marshalling system now as well. I do. And, and obviously having the four marshals 
up on the towers, looking looking down at everything. You know, they have, they obviously up in the air have a better viewpoint of of how carts are entering corners and and exit points and and this and that. So it it takes time. I mean, the, the, they started doing this just last year. It it takes time to uh, to get adjusted to it and to to kind of better communicate and have more chemistry. I mean, it's just like anything else. You, the officials have to have a bit of chemistry as well in order to understand what, what, what certain people are looking at and how they're looking at it. You know, I think one of the things too, David, is I think we, we never really talked about this, is the fact that, number one, when they first brought the video marshalling system out, there was so much stuff happening on track because the racing was so poor that they couldn't even keep, they were trying to learn the system, but keep up with countless penalties and investigations. The racing has gotten better. They've gotten better. So everything is working better simply because the fact that they're not having to try to catch up to all the craziness that's happening on the racetrack. Yeah. And like you said, the main point is, is drivers are starting to drive better more with their heads on. Yeah, agreed. Uh, one last thing to cap off this paddock pass. Let's give some props out to Rawls and Performance Group. What a weekend for them, David. Uh, major wins, podiums, uh, six on Saturday, three on Sunday. Pedro Lopez gets a couple of wins and, and leads the points in S2. His brother Paulo wins on Saturday, runner-up on Sunday in X30 Master. Kyle Wick scoring his first ever S1 victory on Saturday, podium on Sunday. They had a pretty solid uh, weekend getting some hardware at RPG. Yeah, they're not they're not just a tag team anymore. I mean, they're they are a full-fledged full-service operation. Tag, shifter, cadet, junior, senior, master, any level, any type of uh, uh program that uh you're looking to do better at. Obviously, I think RPG is kind of kind of the leader of the pack right now uh in terms of teams around the uh the nation. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, more to come. We have our race report on the other side of this break. Stick with us. Episode number 23 of the EKN Debrief. Like most everything else, karting has always been big in Texas. But these days, it's just getting better and better. Top quality facilities and tracks, truly among the best in the country, dedicated kart shops, and a pure Supercart USA regional series with absolutely incredible year-end prices. That's right, it's the Texas Pro Kart Challenge. The series is dedicated to offering the best program possible with a national-level officiating and technical staff, top-quality facilities, exciting prizes, and full e-karting news trackside live coverage with play-by-play by me, Rob Howden. Our next race is set for June 7th, 8th, and 9th. So make sure to mark it on your schedule. We are going night racing at the iconic Denton facility. Yep, it's PKC Texas style under the lights. It's the best racing in Texas, so come challenge yourself and push it to the next level. For more information, visit TexasProCartChallenge.com. Welcome back to the ECAN Debrief. Rob Howden and David Cole here breaking down the most recent Supercarts USA Pro Tour event, the Spring Nationals in Phoenix. On to the race report presented by K1 Race Gear. Since 2003, K1 Race Gear has been a one-stop shop for all your indoor and outdoor karting needs. From racing shoes, suits, and driving gloves to chest protectors, rib vests, accessories, and bags, K1 Race Gear provides quality karting products for the enthusiast and the professional alike. 
Visit k1racegear.com today and get everything you need for your next racing outing. All right, DC, about 20 minutes before we rock things down. Let's go to X30 Senior. Four different winners on the season. It's it's crazy. Uh, yes. You know, obviously the, the, the X30 division is probably the best to watch. And it's got a lot of experience, but also a lot of youth. And we saw kind of a mixture of both, uh, especially this weekend. Uh, seeing Norberg coming out as a, a winner for the third time at the Spring Nats. A two-time defending champion, uh, winning once again uh, at the Spring Nationals uh, Saturday. Great performance. Jake Craig, Samuel Lupian joining him on the podium. But it was youth who uh, was able to shine on Sunday with Dante Yu finally scoring his first Pro Tour victory, uh, able to outrun Craig and Norberg. So again, kind of just, you know, you know, both those two guys kind of solidified themselves in the championship chase. And again, you know, it's kind of that, like I said earlier, we're managing your tires. You know, nobody's better right now than Craig or Norberg uh, in this in this division. Uh, S1, very similar, David. Four different winners on the season. As we already said, uh, Rollison Performance Group's Kyle Wick dominated the day on Saturday. Unbelievably impressive just to see how he handled so many great drivers. And here he is, a rookie, essentially, in S1, having made his debut last year at the Super Nationals. And, and Kyle was just strong all weekend. Dominates the day on Saturday. Gets that first Pro Tour win. Rory Vandersteer, another rookie in the S1 categories, puts two freshmen on, on the podium. And then Nick LaDuke was in third. Uh, LaDuke, a great story, of course, coming down in his pickup truck. He pitted under a, a team tent, but essentially handled everything himself. Did all the tuning himself with one of his buddies. A uh, really cool privateer story, essentially. He came back the next day after the third on Saturday and scores a win on Sunday, uh, repeating as a, as a Spring Nats winner, having uh, scored the victory last year in, in Sonoma. Billy Musgrave was the top qualifier and won the pre-final, but he dropped back to sixth in the main event. Uh, Vander Stewart Wick, those two rookies, again, completing the podium on Sunday in the S1 Pro Stock Honda class. Just, uh, again, a good mix of veteran drivers and some young guys out of S2 who have really stepped up their game. Speaking of S2, not four different winners, David, just one. Pedro Lopez has won every S2 race this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was just well, I was just going to mention on S1, what is it with pickup trucks on carts? You know, guys winning in S1, the top level class out of the back of their pickup yeah. trucks. So, you know, props. Yeah, AJ Myers back at the Summer Nationals, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. So I just want to say that. But yeah, uh, Lo- Lopez, uh, he, first year in S2. First year shifting gears. You know, we've seen him in X30 Junior for the last couple of years. Uh, that Scusa Winter Series, I think, definitely helped him kind of get into his groove. And he's definitely showing it on the Pro Tour. Able to win on Saturday, earning maximum points, winning over Michael Lavia and Cameron Ager. Sunday, Lavia was the top guy. Uh, Lopez gave it to him back on the prefinal. Uh, contact kind of dropped Lavia back. But Max Hewitt then jumped out to the lead in the final. But Lopez ran him down. Slipped by him in the last couple of laps to steal the victory or steal the lead and the win, earning his fourth victory of the year. Uh, Hewitt actually came across the scales underweight, so he he uh, was relinquished from the second spot, moved Blair Hosey up to second, and Kwan Tandon up to third. Yeah, good run for Keon Tandon to the third spot, as you said, for, for DRT Racing. Tough one for Max Hewitt. He had won at the Texas Pro Kart Challenge opener and essentially his debut victory in the in the S2 class. He ran really well, though. I, I, I was so surprised that Lopez was able to close up at the end of that race. It was a wild one. But, but for him, four straight wins, 
one of those guys that really probably has a, a handle on the championship right now. He doesn't have to do much at the Summer Nats uh, to be able to bring that title to Rawlison Performance Group. Uh, let's cap off this first little bit of the race report presented by K1 Race Gear with X30 Jr. Not much you can say, David, about this progression of Arias Duke Medjian. Uh, running in the Scusa Pro Tour with Greg Bell and Leading Edge. Wow, this kid, you know, it just the, the racing up front in the X30 Junior was uh, was aggressive, but it was clean up front. Just some very impressive drivers. You got Tyler Maxson and Tyler Gonzalez uh, on the pole as well. I mean, on the on the podium as well. Race two it was Jonathan Ports, uh, who was unbelievably fast all weekend. He and Jeremy Fairburn on the podium. But Arias Duke Medjian just looked so composed, so. It's, it, nothing phased him on the weekend. He has really just come on. I, I'm sure you're just as impressed with him as I am. Yeah, he he's shown he's shown he's been around for a couple years now, yeah. so it, it's kind of no surprise. But I think I, I think the surprise is more his consistency. Uh, it's yeah. not something that you can kind of just grab and go. But uh, uh, this weekend, he certainly had it. Uh, something you know, he kind he kind of was there in Nola uh, contact, I believe, on one day, kind of took him out. So uh, on the podium one day and then DNF on the other, I believe. But, uh, you know, he definitely showed poise, composure, and a lot of speed uh, in Phoenix. I like the word consistency because that I think something that he's – or any – let's say any young driver. Let me just not just uh, single out Arias, but any driver needs – young driver needs to work on consistency, right? Always being in there, trying not to make that bad move. And the, the overtakes that he made, of course – Getting the, the the lead late in race one to be able to win over Tyler Maxson was just super impressive. Just made that move aggressive, decisive, and took two wins. Like again, you just you can't say too much about it. He's uh, turned himself into one of the top young junior drivers in the country, which is impressive. I do want to give props out to Canadian Matt Clark as well, who was running with uh, PSL Karting. His dad Stu on the wrenches kind of made his, I think made his entrance onto the U.S. national scene. Fourth on Saturday was fifth on Sunday. Uh, before a penalty from a driver in front of him moved the, moved him him back and moved Mac back up into fourth, a pair of fourth place finishes, pretty solid debut for the young Canadian. All right, we got what another probably five categories to hit here in the race report. Stick with us; more to come after this break. It is back. The Quincy Grand Prix of Carding. The crown jewel of Carding returns to Quincy South Park for the first time since 2001. Race on the track where Jamie McMurray, Scott Pruitt, and Lynn Haddock ran. They'll tell you it's the greatest street racing track ever. All new pavement and smooth as glass. It will be a Carding party you'll want to be part of. It's also the first leg of the Triple Crown of Carding. This race has to be on your bucket list. Come race before 10,000 plus spectators in Quincy Scenic South Park. Drivers, entry forms, and all the information you'll need for the race held June 9th and 10th are online at www.quincygrandprix.com. That's quincygrandprix.com. Get online today, secure your spot, and then get ready to be part of one of the biggest races in karting history. It's the Grand Prix of karting on June 9th and 10th in Quincy, Illinois' historic South Park. Welcome back to the EKN Debrief. This is the race report from the Scusa Spring Nationals in Phoenix. David, I'm going to jump right in here to S4 Pro Stock Honda. Jordan Musser had some bad luck at Nola Motorsports Park, uh, having that bumper p- fall off. He ends up having to get leave the race while leading. 
He flat dominated the weekend here. National number one on the side of the PSL. Curtis Fox turning the wrenches. He was just perfect all weekend long. Ryan Kinnear was right there close both days. But to be honest, you got to say that Musser was just the man to beat. Kadir kept pushing him, but the bottom line is Musser just was untouchable. Yeah, I thought on Sunday it looked like Kinnear kind of had the speed there to 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 make it a battle, to make it uh, something a little bit more exciting uh, on the at the end on Sunday. But but yeah, Musser just kind of you know we talk consistency. Uh, Musser just kept the kept the consistent laps going. Uh, Kinnear kind of fell off a little bit uh, at the end, and and you know once once you lose that draft, you know it's tough to get it back. So uh, so Musser was able to pull away. Uh, from Kinnear to go uh, sweep the weekend. Yeah, trying to defend that national number one. Musser wins both races. Kinnear second in both to keep things close. It's all going to come down to the summer nationals at Newcastle in uh, in August. Uh, on Saturday, P3 went to Nathan Stewart, the Dallas Karting complex driver in the Sodi Kart. Had a really strong run. Actually pushed uh, uh, Kinnear for a while there. was right on the rear bumper. And on Sunday, it was actually Terry Lawrence who was uh, running with Greg Bell and Leading Edge Motorsports on the Formula K on the weekend. Kind of got a better feel for the chassis by the time the weekend was all over. And Lawrence able to bring that cart home in third. So, uh, third rung on the podium for the Sunday event. Supermaster. Where's, uh, oh, go. Where, where's Stuart from again? New Zealand. He's a Kiwi. There it is. I know. There it is. I right. just wanted I, I just want to get it in your head so you don't forget anymore. I apologize to his parents for saying that he's from Australia. I know that's a major no-no. <laughs> Thanks, David. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. Uh, S4 Supermaster running on track at the same time. And, and David, what do you want to say about John Crow right now? He was the fastest driver in both groups. He turned the outright fastest lap, untouched all weekend, second and third wins of the year. He got bonus points for fast laps. John Crow just recommitted to what he's doing. He wants to win this championship. Bring it on down to Podiumville. There it is, the Crow Show. Uh, Rod Clenard was just as fast. Give it up for Rod. Uh, able to stick with uh, John for majority of the racing. Uh, made one push to try to get the race win, I think, on Sunday, but just couldn't quite do it, but still finished second both days. Very similar to S4, who had the same winner and the same second-place driver. On Sunday, Victor Jimenez. It was P3, or rather on Saturday. On Sunday, Nick Firestone, local driver, able to come home uh, with that final podium position. X30 Masters, David, uh, this class has just got such a stacked field. You bring Leonardo Neencotter into the game this year. You bring uh, Matt Johnson out this weekend. Talk a little bit about how Paulo Lopez got his first victory on Saturday, but how things really kind of developed in that class. Yeah, there's a lot of good names, good drivers that are in this category. Uh, uh, and it's it's kind of a just... Uh, it's a shock to see how well Paulo Lopez is. Obviously, we, have, it's, we haven't seen him a lot. Uh, so to be able to to battle with the likes of Leonardo Nincotter and and Derek Wang and 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 Travis Irving and Jess Peterson, guys who have have won or have been on the podium throughout uh, the last couple of years uh, at the Pro Tour. So for for Lopez to come in and do what he's doing is great because one he's got four straight podium uh, results, counting Nola and this weekend. This weekend though his first victory. Uh, able to edge out Neen Cotter on Saturday uh, with Irving uh, trailing in third. Neen Cotter looked to be the guy to beat all weekend long. But, you know, in the end, it was Lopez on Saturday coming through with the victory. Sunday, a different story. The start of the final was a little bit shaky. Neen Cotter got shuffled back to, I think, seventh at one point. So this allowed Lopez to kind of take over at the point. And then Matt Johnson trailed him. And, and, and we know Matt 
for a long, long time. He's when, when he's on the hunt, he's going to, he's going to give go after it. And, and he, he just sat there kind of bought his time, you know, again, tire management. I think he just kind of was able to, to manage yeah. his tires a little bit better than Lopez was. And then in the end, Johnson had the pace to, to get by him and hold on for his first vic, uh, pro tour victory in the X30 master category. Uh, Lopez. Yeah. Matt Johnson, he's a bulldog for sure, David, you know, you, you give him like you, you give him that opportunity to win a race. He's putting the head down and going to keep digging. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Lopez, Lopez was able to score second. So again, four straight podium uh, results on the year. So that definitely puts him in the hunt for the, uh, for the title. Not quite sure who's going to fall in as a challenger position, but again, like we saw last year, the summer Nats could be a deciding factor. If you're able to sweep the whole weekend uh, as uh, uh, Lorenzo Mardan did to move up into second in the standings. Uh, but uh, Neen Cotter completed the podium. Uh, one interesting note, though, Derek Wang, two-time defending champion, he had the fast lap of the race in both main events, but just wasn't quite fast enough or able to stay up towards the leaders early early on uh, throughout the race. But uh, a top-five finish, I believe, on Sunday was his best result uh, of the weekend, but he scored two, you know, 10 bonus points each day as, as a fast lap yeah. driver. You and I talked a lot about the importance of getting those, you know, those fast lap bonuses or just the bonus points. You know, we talked about Max Garcia winning all the bonus points all weekend long uh, in the micro uh, swift category. And indeed, and same thing in X30 Masters. It just seemed like Derek Wang wasn't able to qualify well. And with the level of, of talent in that class, if you're not qualifying well, it's hard to move forward because there's just so many great guys up front. Uh, let's jump into the mini swift class uh, defending champion Carson Morgan. Uh, really kind of ran things on on Saturday, scoring his second uh, victory of the season. There was some great racing up front, uh, but he scores the win in the pre-final and the main event, running the Cart Republic. First time on that Cart Republic uh, mini chassis. Kai Sorensen and Noah Baker on the podium as well. And David, Mini Swift, a huge field. We've seen some kind of tough racing in there, but for the most part, I'm loving the depth of talent there as well. You can go back top 15, top 20, and see some really good drivers. Yeah, we, we, I think what what's was the total we had? We had uh, twenty nine, and I could probably say there's a good fifteen to twenty drivers that could compete for the podium. So the field was really deep, deep this weekend. And obviously, when the field is deep like that, you got to go. You know, it's tough to get any space you possibly can. And and unfortunately for Morgan, qualified mid pack on Sunday, and it kind of kind of bim in the end. Yeah, the opening lap, uh, they are all kind of rolling. Th- I think it was the opening lap, right? They're all rolling through turn number uh, last corner, coming out of the front straightaway. Guys were left and right. He got up on the back of a guy right here at start finish and kind of climbed over top of him and, and, and flipped. And it was one of those kind of big lazy flips that you kind of slap him down on the other side. Hard flip. Uh, he got immediately got right back up, and obviously was, he was annoyed. Took the uh, took the neck protector off and threw it on the ground. And as he walked across the track, you know, everybody was able to get by. I think that he realized that he probably was hurt a little bit. Uh, the, the impact kind of uh, hit his nose. I think he's got a broken nose. We saw pictures of him later on with Frankie Mossman, who had gotten into an incident as well. Both of those guys at the hospital giving us the thumbs up. So really happy to see that Carson and Frankie, of course, are fine as well. Uh, Frankie with a, with a broken wrist from his incident. Overall, though, kind of changes things around, but we're glad that that Carson's fine. Yeah, it was good. It was like you said, it was good to see him get up, get up right away. And thankfully, you know, the Scusa staff was right there to kind of assist him off the racetrack and and tend to his need. 
But uh, back on track, you know, it was kind of a it was a four driver breakaway uh, in the main event that we saw basically decided in the last couple of corners. Uh, I, I think you said it on the mic uh, a couple of laps before that with with Noah Baker running fourth. You said fourth wasn't where you want to be, was it? <laughs> That's right. No, I'm like, you got to get the second if you want to win this thing, dude. You can't be fourth. And he just didn't have what it took to be able to get up there because he, you know, everybody was so evenly matched. Jack Jeffers was leading for a bit, then Kai Sorensen would lead, then all of a sudden Diego Larock would lead. And Noah Baker was just standing back there in fourth. And, and I understand that for the, for the mid part of the race. He was watching it. But David described that last lap, but the last corner, or not the second last corner, the off camber turn number 11. Wow, that was big. Well, when you're going into Daytona, you're, you're you're sizing up a guy, especially if he if he goes down and low to defend, which I believe you know uh, Sorensen was doing. Him and LaRock were kind of going back and forth on that la- in the last couple of corners. So they go into turn eleven. LaRock dives underneath Sorensen. They both kind of drift wide, and and it wasn't hard contact, but it was just enough contact to where it slowed their pace down. And Jeffers, who's running in third, didn't quite time it just right to get underneath both of them. And so his pace kind of slowed down where Baker just said, all right, guys, I'll just slide on by and goes from fourth to first just in one corner and reaches a checkered flag first. Was it was it Sorensen that was leading into the final corner? Was it, I want to say it was LaRock because I, I have a feeling that LaRock was leading the final lap and he ended up not even being on the podium. Regardless of which way it shook down, you're exactly right. Baker, perfect, checked up tucked down to the inside, and I couldn't believe it when he came out. <laughs> Immediately, I was eating my words. I'm like, no, fourth was the perfect place to be for Noah Baker. He ends up scoring a big win. Uh, Jack Jeffers in second, Kai Sorensen in third, Diego LaRock, who led so much of that race and was strong, ends up P4. Uh, Micro Swift, let's cap off this race report. Caleb Gaffera uh, with a big win, his second uh, win of the season. He uh, is victorious on Saturday over Danny Dazelski and Max Garcia. Uh, all three of them were just battling like crazy. Ben Mayer was in there as well, but fell back a little bit. Uh, good run for Gaffera, able to score the win as Dazelski not able to get by. But on Sunday, David, Ben Mayer was just impressive. He was, was able to bounce back, you know, obviously not m- missing the podium on Saturday, probably kind of amped him up a little bit more <laughs> to, on Sunday. And, you know, Sunday just Mayer, again, he had the streak going. Needed to keep the streak going now with eight events now that he's that he scored a victory at, whether both days or just one day. Uh, so that's awesome. So, so he got his second win on the pro tour. So we got Grafar with two, Mayer with two, but don't forget about Garcia. Garcia finished second, so he's got I want to say at least three podiums, maybe four. I, I got to double check that, but. He was able to come across second. Ethan Ayers with another podium in third. But Garcia scoring 40 bonus points on the weekend with both top qualifying awards and both fast lap awards. That's pretty big to be able to get the job done like that. And we will give props to Ethan Ayers. He actually was – it was kind of a two, two guys that, that paired up. It was Ben Mayer and, and Garcia racing together for first and second. Ethan Ayers was right behind uh, Caleb Gaffera all race long, made that good move in, the, in turn number 11, the left-hander, the off-camber corner. Took over that that position and a, and a quality third battling his teammate, his parallel teammate, Caleb Gaffer. Good run for Ethan Ayers uh, to that third spot. Well, that is our race report brought to you by K1 Race Gear. David Cole, we are getting close to the end of this debrief. Let's quickly jump into the EKN Trackside Live race calendar presented by Trinity Karting Group. Uh, we're back on the road. I'm actually not going to see you. <laughs> you and I aren't going to be at the same race 
together again until August. I think the Summer Nationals. Uh, you're heading on May 18th, 19th, 20th, WK Manufacturers Cup, back to the Pittsburgh International Race Complex. Man, Cup get going again. I had then June 7th, 8th, and 9th to the Texas Pro Kart Challenge, a night race at Denton, Texas. I'm looking forward to getting down to another night race. Always a, always a good time. That should be fun. And then uh, the weekend after that, I will be back at Mooresville, North Carolina for the second stop of the United States Pro Kart Series. Always enjoy going back to Mooresville and the GoPro Motorplex there. Uh, and then we got a little bit of time. You get a month off. Yeah, I think we'll be. I think we'll be busy, but just we won't be on the road. So yeah, you'll be on the road. So that's true. We got a lot to work. You have to cut grass. I'll still be on the road, but you got to cut grass and take the kids to baseball and soccer practice. That's right. <laughs> July thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. David uh, hits the road again to the WK Manufacturers Cup Series. Concept Hollers Motor Speedway change. David in location, going back to Norway. Yeah, we just had uh, the Cup Carts North America that race was there this weekend. So watching some onboards, it's it, it's still that old school track, uh, but should provide some for excitement uh, throughout the weekend. I, I like seeing WK Man Cup go back to to Norway. You know, they used to have the WK Constructors Championship there when when that was the thing back in the late nineties. Just a great old school facility, uh, good long straightaway, a couple of really challenging corners. The the big Monza Bank Monza in the back part of the track. I think uh, I think Man Cup will have a good run there, and uh, we'll cap off this look at our calendar. Uh, we're now into what second half of July, July 20, 21, 22. I finally get to go check out this Amarillo Kart Circuit, this uh, track that's based off of the Formula One facility in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, they had a, the Texas Pro Kart Challenge guys had an awesome race there last year, and I'm hearing that there's going to be guys coming from Colorado, from California, from Arizona. I think that'll be a pretty cool race. It's a very unique facility. It's not used at all. It's a privately owned track, and I'm looking forward to getting out there. David, we are wrapping things up right now. Let's just do a, you now do a quick 30-second wrap-up. Phoenix, tough weekend for everybody involved, extreme heat. Personally, I'm unbelievably impressed with everybody who soldiered on and were able to perform all weekend long. I think they were challenged. I think it was it was huge. And for me, the takeaway, much better racecraft than we saw at NOLA. Much better, much better. And the starts, that's the main concern I think we have moving forward. And with the pushback, it definitely solved that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us here. This has been the debrief. David and I took the opportunity to break down the Scusa Spring Nationals. That series now looking forward to the Summer Nats uh, in August at Newcastle Motorsports Park. Of course, the national number plates up for grabs, championships, and, and what really is the primary or only real national coast-to-coast karting series we have now in the United States. It was a big weekend. It was hot, as we've said. Racing was great. Uh, but again, David and I, glad to be back in the office and focus forward on what will be a long season still. Lots of racing to come, and we do want to thank you guys for joining us here on the EKN Radio Network. One quick thing, we have the new app for the EKN Radio Network. You can get that at iTunes or Google Play. Download it to your mobile device. Just one tap, and you are tuned in to the only 24-7 karting radio station in the sport, the EKN Radio Network. Again, on behalf of David Cole, this has been Rob Howden. Thanks for joining us here on the EKN Debrief.